Welcome to another edition of Crossroads Podcast. I'm America's editor, John Burke, and joining me today is Brian Mueller, Chief Development Officer of Vicinity Energy, a Boston-based district energy business and portfolio company of Antin Infrastructure Partners. Brian, welcome to today's program. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be here. Vicinity is teamed with Antin and Bond Building Construction and is among five squads shortlisted for the University of Maryland's next-gen P3 project. An RFP is expected shortly. Separately, Vicinity struck a deal over the summer to acquire Morgantown Energy Associates, the district energy system serving the West Virginia University. Vicinity is among a few developers that are starting to make inroads into the university energy P3 space on the concept that it leaves designing modernized energy systems in the hands of an integrated consortium while keeping the university in alignment with its clean tech goals and possibly using the project to create additional opportunities for its student base, such as educational programs and endowments. In recent years, larger state schools, such as the Ohio State University and the University of of Iowa, have successfully ran and closed procurements for new energy systems, while smaller private schools, such as Georgetown University and Howard University, have also closed bilateral deals in recent months. Brian joins us to walk us through some of the latest developments on this front and get a sense on what lessons are to be learned through some of these procurements. Brian, can you walk us through the process of getting a P3 procurement done through a university as opposed to a municipality? Sure, John. Uh, public universities and municipalities obviously follow fairly formal procurement processes um, as required by the procurement codes in their respective uh, states. Um, formal processes obviously are run by the consultants, you know, particularly on these larger transactions. They really require that expertise to run a, a fair, balanced um, process that allows success, a successful outcome. The primary difference between a university process and a municipality process really focuses on the universities looking at an ability to engage with consultants of a variety of types earlier and more often in the process, an ability to develop concepts um, that are beneficial and flexible and not prescriptive, and that they really also differ in one key area, I feel, is that with the universities, there's a real need to sell throughout the organization. It's through the finance department, through the operations department, the leadership of the university on campus, as well as at the various board levels, as well as engaging with the faculty and staff constituencies. It's really a opportunity to sell up and down the organization to meet various constituencies, goals and objectives. Whereas in a municipality procurement, they're typically procured by smaller groups or committees, and they are left to deal with engaging more of the community folks. Great. As I stated earlier, there's been now it's sort of a track record of universities and colleges, big and small, going through various procurements. Um, Energy is, of course, uh, one of a couple categories now. Uh, Housing has also been a popular category, as well as other uses like parking and uh, academia, as well as actually creating new infrastructure around uh, university medical campuses. Have universities grown up in terms of being specific around what they're looking for in their next generation of energy systems? Or do you feel in general it's still a more open process um, in terms of getting feedback from investors and developers for such a procurement? I absolutely believe that university leadership has evolved, particularly over the last couple, you know, last decade. Um, I do believe they are being specific, but they're being specific about their goals and objectives. They too are listening to their faculty, staff, students, um, board members, 
um, alumni on clear direction and a lot of different clear directions that you could say that on where they need to be as the university. So I see them be, becoming much more receptive to flexible solutions from third-party providers, but really challenging those providers to leverage that, their expertise, their experience to bring new ideas, new concepts. And then really I've seen an evolution of the universities moving to an outcome, an outcomes-based program that have very measurable and achievable goals and expectations of the, of the partners. And then they expect those partners to meet those expectations. To do that, they're obviously making very long-term commitments as in a true partnership format that addresses operational, current capital requirements, as well as long-term capital improvements and asset re- recycling or asset monetization and re- replacement. So, Brian, how are universities viewing cost at this given point, given that often universities have to tap corporate debt versus a lower cost municipal debt to fund these projects? That's a, that's a very good question and one that we hear often. And it's really the cost associated with the educational mission, the research, the development, the growth and their respective investments in the core mission activities versus the cost of the infrastructure. What we're seeing is the use of the third party on non-core assets and infrastructure allows them to focus on their core activities, reinvest in their educational assets, their research assets, their housing assets, and allow a third party to accept the risk of the asset management of the non-core for the university into the third party's core business that allows them to shift that money to asset recycling and replacement, both for the short term and for the long term replacement of deferred maintenance or capital renewal renewal requirements. Um, It's really a best use of both worlds in a lot of cases. It allows the university to use, use the proceeds to fund endowments and an active third party will engage with the university to enhance those endowments, enhance research funding and educational opportunities for the faculty and students on campus. Great. Brian, you were an engineering student yourself once, right? Long time ago? A very long time ago. Yes, I was. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just think it seems like some of these schools have started programs around these new projects to be able to get in at the ground level to see a new renewable type of project getting built or something modern. It's probably a cool learning experience all in. It is. I, I enjoyed my time in engineering and in, particularly in graduate school when you engage with desktop program desktop programs that can evolve into commercialization or commercialized activities. Um, getting that hands-on feeling um, is, is important, I think, for engineers in entering the workforce. But also from the third party's perspective, is there are a lot of fundamental research activities that are going to be the next generation of technology. And as good stewards of the projects and of the community, and of the business, we should be looking to be at the forefront of those developments and accelerating those where we can. Interesting. So just moving on to another area, one of the university deals that got done in the last couple of years was at Syracuse, where there were a couple of starts and stops there, but ultimately they came to a deal with N-Wave and the district energy system that was proposed was more around both the city and the university itself, rather than just serving the needs of, of the Syracuse students. 
Is that something that we might see further in other deals as we think about towns and the schools that they house? And, you know, it's almost like there's smaller towns and there's there's bigger schools. And somehow you would think you'd want a more of a modernized energy product in communities like that. So I'm sort of wondering if we're going to see more of that going forward. Sure. It, it, it would definitely not surprise me. I think in the large cities, integrating district energy systems with universities, healthcare campuses, um, as part of the district networks is common. Um, vicinity, as an example, serves many colleges, campuses in the districts that we, we provide service. When we look at a university-owned system expanding into the surrounding city, it's often a question of really what is the, the right load conditions. So Syracuse has a number of um, healthcare facilities that are in the very close proximity to their system. As well as what are the how are the engagements between the city and the university? You know, effective engagement at the town and gown um, strategy level is how do they integrate? Even areas of support around efficiency optimization, where the university, if it's a university system, can leverage those opportunities with the nearby facilities, the nearby buildings, and grow. But I think it really takes a lot of engagement um, at both top levels to work together, to collaborate, because after all, these are, you know, infrastructure plays that support the entire community. And in some cities where the university is either the largest or one of the largest employers, um, it just makes natural sense to have the two groups integrate and share services. Great. So Brian, what other universities do you think might be able to undergo a process this year or, you know, if not one to go into specifics, maybe talk about your expectations of this being a trend and for the rest of the year and on until 2022. Yeah. So without naming specific um, universities, um, I do think there will be more colleges and universities seeking third party solutions to their sustainability, efficiency and infrastructure upgrade programs. So I do think there will be a number of processes for both energy and other infrastructure um, assets in the university and particularly public university market. Um, I do think that these projects, these processes allow long-term infrastructure challenges to be achieved through the effective partnerships, um, the ability to provide asset management, asset recycling, the renewal, as well as reducing the risk of the utility services. I also do do believe, and I've heard this um, from clients, is that as we emerge from the challenges of the pandemic, um, many colleges and universities obviously have had a tough financial time. They're looking to solve infrastructure issues as well as the need to address hybrid educational models and how do they address the, the need to satisfy their educational goals and changing their educational infrastructure. So I do believe that there will be third-party infrastructure options to support sustainability, efficiency, and long-term risk transfer from an infrastructure play and an energy play, definitely 2021 and 2022 and beyond. Great. So just getting to purely district energy, where, where does that stand now just for, for cities and, and maybe talk about back growth going forward? Sure. Yeah, I personally think it is an exciting time for the district energy businesses. 
it's a exciting time for vicinity and our clean energy future. Um, it is exciting time for district energy as a whole. Uh, the systems are very vital, reliable, and resilient components of a, of a city's utility infrastructure. Um, they provide a lot of opportunity to grow, both with existing building stock as well as with new buildings. Um, and what's really important to remember is that the infrastructure that is supported by the district energy plants and the district energy systems is irreplaceable. It's extremely robust. It has a long-term, long-time, long-term history. It's got a viability and an ability to adapt to ever-changing customer needs, as well as challenges from cities, states, with respect to environmental and sustainability goals. Our ability to upgrade and make our plants more efficient through the use of biofuels or other technologies, our ability to improve the efficiency and optimization of our operating assets, the benefits are reaped not only by us, but by the entire community that we do serve. So as we, as we look to improve our sustainability, our carbon footprint, and we work towards net carbon zero, all of our customers, all of our partners and the communities that we serve are seeing those benefits and we're able to do it on a large scale. Just one last question from my end. Can you talk about what new innovation there has been in district energy in the last year or so? From an innovation perspective, I think the districts have continued to evolve. Uh, we have been evolutionary in, the, in our systems uh, as we have migrated to more efficient systems. Um, we are constantly looking at new products and new technologies. One that is really exciting for us at, at Vicinity is that we will be um, using a biogenic fuel to replace our remaining backup um, fuel oil, which is a locally sourced product. It's a waste vegetable oil. It, is, it will be used locally and we'll be able to re replace that fossil fuel we're also engineering and evaluating a number of options around clean energy sources and technologies that will keep us out of the forefront of efficiency and sustainability. Great. Well, Brian, that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us today. It was a really interesting discussion. Well, thanks, John. And we hope Crossroads listeners got a lot out of it. And please tune in next time. Work out.